On today's podcast, if we take a step back in time to the late 70s, when the people were scarce and the ocean was yours. We're with Gary Register today, who is known as a hard-working loner who would eventually win the Super Bowl of tarpon fishing three times with Jimmy Bell Jr. Today, he speaks about the growing years of a sleepy fishing village and the ocean that was once alive and well. We broke everything. We broke lines. We broke hooks. We broke rods. We broke our minds. We broke marriages. We broke the whole thing. We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow, and he turned around the other way, and I shot him going through the other way. So I double-lunged him both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet. And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out, thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride. <laughs> There's something fishy going on here. Well, uh, Gary and Teresa, thank you so much uh, for coming down to the Mill House. Yeah, man, thanks for inviting us. I mean, yes. my gosh, what a morning. You left Gainesville at 3 in the morning, and now you arrive here at like 9.30. I'm amazed you're still awake. And we're heading to the Keys. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're tough critters, man. Well, we're going down and spend a week down there, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's your life like now? I mean, you're what, 81? No, I'm 86. Next oh. month, I'll be 87. Oh, I, you got me fooled. <laughs> you look so young. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um, you're a pre-war baby. Yeah, yeah. What are your first memories? Uh, hurricanes in Miami. <laughs> That's where I was from. Right. And uh, I was real little, and, uh, like... Best when I can remember, like '46, the right. government thought they could uh, control the weather and the hurricanes and stuff, and they had a program where they was gonna slow that water and and wind down, and they seeded all the clouds in 1946. It was how'd that work out for them? It did not work out. All it flooded. I've been down most of the rivers in Miami in a boat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, most of the highways, like right. Bird Road and all those places, there's nothing in there. I've, I've been down them in a boat. <laughs> the water we got just so high. You know, uh, Flip Pallet was down there uh, in Homestead during Hurricane Andrew. He got the hell out of there. He's up in Titusville now. And But your your family stayed in Miami after all those years? Yeah. My dad and uh, they, they retired from Miami. Then they moved up to North Florida. Right. So, um, when did you end up in the Keys? I mean, let's go back first. What What did your father do? He uh, actually he was in a junk business around Miami for a long time, and then he uh, went to work for the city of Carl Gables, and he retired from there. Uh huh. And so, and who got you into fishing? Wasn't him. 
<laughs> he, he wasn't much of a fisherman. Uh, his brother was, and he, he used to take me a lot. Right. And he started me off with fishing the canals and stuff, and we'd go out to Miami Trail and all those places and fish. And we'd, we'd also come to Isla Morada. We fished a lot around the Isla Morada area, or either we would go to Flamingo and we'd fish there, mm-hmm. you know. But then I left early. Uh, you you left the home early. Yeah, yeah. At what age? Uh, fourteen. <laughs> and where'd you go? I went to North Florida, up to Swanee County. I had a. You had a girlfriend, didn't you? No, I didn't. <laughs> right, right, Teresa. Right mm. I had a girlfriend. It was called a, a thirty-two Chevrolet Roadster convertible. <laughs> <laughs> my my dad. I told you he was in the junk business. And there was a professor at the University of Miami had this roadster. And the kids, somehow or another, the story goes, they set it on fire. And my dad bought it for $13 for junk. And I, I'm 13 years old. And I, so I asked him, hey, if I can wake up $13, can I buy that car from you? And he said, yeah. So I got a job in a filling station. And they, they paid me enough to, until I paid the $13 to buy the car. And then the rest of the time, he would help me. And we had to rewire it right. and put new tires on it. And I went to a junkyard, and I stole the windshield <laughs> to put on the thing. Anyway, I got it all painted up and ready to go. I took it home. My dad said, park it over there. So that, <laughs> that night, my uncle was was in, in, in his brother was in Swanee County up there, and he was going up. I packed all my clothes. I asked him, hey, can I come and live with you? And he said, yeah. So we I left, and uh, I got as far as Lake Okeechobee, and my lights went out. So he wasn't going to stop and keep it. So he kept on going. I slept side of the road, and at 14, I drove the rest of the way up there. What a life. <laughs> with no no driver's license or nothing and uh, i stayed with them up there for a year and then they moved back to miami i liked it i stayed right there i got a job in a western auto store that paid me 15 dollars a week and I, I found a place to live in a rooming house where had a little cafe beside of it it cost 12 dollars a week to stay there, so I had the three. Do- I had three dollars left over. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. Anyway, they moved. I stayed up there and went to high school. Went after high school, went to service, and uh, I, I fished up there a lot. Uh, the Swanee River was great. I mean, a lot of it wasn't illegal. Like, I met a farmer that I used to crop tobacco for, and he, he had bush lines along the Swanee River. And we'd go down there, and he had two big old hooks. I don't know what big. I don't remember what the numbers were, but they're so big. Snag hooks, something like that. But anyway, we would we'd go down there, we'd catch these little brim perch and stuff up, and he'd have time to a bush on the edge of the river and let it hook them in the dorsal fin, just so they was cutting the water every time they moved. And we'd tie them, and go down there and tie another. We had fence posts around there with nine, 10, 11 pound bass head on each post. Wow. <laughs> it was really had some big fish in that thing. And How it, long would those perch live hanging out of the water flopping? Oh, they'd live forever. Um, well, until something ate them. 
If it wasn't a, so you'd have the head in the water, you know, just but he they yeah he could just whenever you know just so right. he's cutting the water and moving and right. making a motion oh, that's in there. Funny. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't legal. You know, you weren't allowed to use a brim for bait, but but you were hungry. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you had to get some bass. Yeah, I don't mean to leave you out, no, Teresa. No, it's You've fine. got a great fishing story too, so I'd like to include you. You know, into this podcast. Well, well, I wasn't around during those days. <laughs> you weren't. I wasn't you weren't even his, born. <laughs> you weren't his first lover. <laughs> well, I'm the third wife. Okay, there you go. We've been together twenty. I say twenty-five years now. Yeah, it was a short list. Good yeah. for you guys. Yeah. So, what's your life with fishing? Well, I kind of grew up in it. My grandfather had a headboat, and my father had a headboat in Virginia Beach, Virginia, in a marina. My father leased this property, marina, and him and a buddy did that. So I started working on the boat when I was a little girl. My grandfather used to put me in the little bassinet thing. And then I started fishing with my dad when he got built two boats. He built a 65 footer and a 60 footer in Deltaville, Virginia. So I started working the snack bar, but I'd fish out the window. So you love fishing. Oh yeah. But I grew up, Vic Aspenny was working for my father. That's the guide out of Bud Mary's. Uh, George Wood worked for my father, so they were kind of always around. But um, And then as I got older, um, I wanted to catch the big fish. I didn't want to catch, you know, groupers. And, I mean, uh, catching tautogs and stuff. I wanted to catch them fish were jumping out of the water. <laughs> Blue Marlin. And so my dad took the boat to Hatteras, North Carolina. And the guys, Vic and them, would troll off the back. And we'd catch sailfish and marlin and oh it was in heaven and then as uh my dad started bringing the headboats to bud mary's the first he was the first headboat out of bud mary's and that was the big d that was a 60 footer and then he next year he built another one that was 65 feet but he kept tearing the wheels up going in and out of the harbor there because it's low tide was tough on him and it just he ended up moving it to holiday isle and he fished there and he fished Sal, and I was doing that. And then I left home at 15, like him. <laughs> Good for you. Fish, I, fishermen are hungry. They want to see the world. Yeah, I left home at 15 and uh, I was living in Amarada before that with my dad. My parents divorced and uh, started fishing with Alex Adler and Skippy Nielsen and Billy Knowles. Yeah. And took me fishing. The greats. Yeah, I, I got lucky. I. Hank, I, I've known him since I was a little girl, since wow. I was 15. I went well, to school with his kids. You talk about Bud and Mary's. I called uh, Richard Stanzik. And I said, tell me, tell me about Gary. He said, well, Gary was really kind of a quiet guy, a loner, a great fisherman. And he said that back in the day when, when I was drinking, you know, Richard speaking now, he said, I came in from a night charter. And I came through the wheel ditch. I took a wrong turn and ran high and ground, ran, ran my boat aground. There was no water around this boat. He said, Gary came running by, stopped, and said, Hey, Richard, there ain't any fish up there. And then you left him. You took <laughs> off. Is that true? Could be. I, I remember him being up there asking if he was bone fishing. It was late at night. Right. You know, dark and everything. <laughs> Tell me about the times back then. You know, those early years of Isla Morada. Well, the, the fishing was great. The water was clear as a bell. 
you know, it was just great. And you had to go nowhere to catch fish. I remember just going to Barnes Key before the little flat running from Twin Keys over towards uh, uh, Shell Key. You could go out, out there and that thing would just be teeming with fish. And they would be tailing bonefish and tailing redfish together. <laughs> you didn't see that as too far much. as you could see. Oh, on the whole bank. And so you didn't have to go anywhere to catch fish. It was an easy, easy thing to do. But most of the, it was the hardest part was getting around. Like they talk about Bucky Stark's wheel ditch. Right. It used to be a wheel ditch. Like 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 a little ditch. Oh man! Yeah, I mean, a, that was, was just a, a just a problem. You couldn't go through there on low tide. There's just no way. Well, back then, we didn't have no power trims either. Right. You know, so that motor was down all the way, and if it was low tide, you couldn't go through there. Did you get stuck on low on 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 bars quite often? Back oh yeah. Then? Well, yeah, a lot of times. What's stuck. it like running aground? <laughs> it's not easy. The running ground's easy, and getting off of it not. So, what's your, what's your worst run aground moment? My worst run aground was I had a lady about to have a baby. She big, but she wanted to go. That's okay. I'll take you. So we we got out there. We hadn't gone too too far, but uh, she had to go to the bathroom. And I told him, well, go over the side. Oh, I can't do that. There's no way you could do that. You gotta take me to an island. I said, you're not gonna wanna get on one of those islands. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she would not go over the side. So I ended up taking her to, I, I forget, uh, Calusico or, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't remember where we were. Anyway, put her ashore and she disappeared up in there and pretty soon, <laughs> If she come back, she looked like a cloud following her with so many mosquitoes. And she got sicker than a dog from all his bites and stuff. And so I said, I got to get her thrown home. I didn't want to have that baby out there <laughs> in the boat. So I said, I, I think I can make it across this flat instead of going all the way around. I got to get her in. And I tried to cut across a flat there, and I got stuck. And I picked that motor up, and I, I, I must have pushed for a solid hour. <laughs> you know, with mud, you sink down here. Right. And I, that was the worst pushing I ever done. And besides, I was in a hurry because I was afraid, you know, what was he going to have? She's sick. <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm sure I used it several times. Couldn't be the F-bomb, could it? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, that's a... I've been stuck a lot of times out there and had to get out and push. But you learn a lot. But I, I remember one time I, I got stuck. Uh, I stayed up on the flat too long, and the tide went out. And it really got low. And I, 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 I just had to sit there and wait for the tide to come in. But I got out and kind of from one grass patch to another grass patch. And the, the ground in the grass and stuff, it was just teeming. You couldn't believe the amount of shrimp that was in those waters. Wow. You could just walk on it, take a dip net and just dip up and fill up your boat with shrimp. 
I never realized that there was that many of them in there. I mean, I knew the shrimp run, sure. you know, all the time, and the shrimpers did good and all that stuff, but I never realized that they, just in the areas that we was fishing, like mm-hmm. I've redfished in this area all the time, and uh, I've I never seen so many shrimp in my life. <laughs> I, th- I think in this day and age with the advent of GPSs and satellite imaging, you know, everybody can run everywhere, and there's no learning curve. Oh, right. It's and immediate. Besides, and I, th- it's, I, I can't even imagine what it was like back then, you know, looking out and saying, God, I wonder what's out there, and then trying to figure out how to get out there and get back. Yeah, and then, then there was no markers. There's no markers anywhere. They talk about uh, like pipe channel. Mm-hmm. That was the only they even talk about the pipe channel. That was the only marker around. Right. <laughs> they came. I was one of the first ones that they did put markers up. Was on Nine Mile there in Man of War. They had a the ones was one of the first ones. And I guess the next. First ones was running from Snake Bite to uh, Rankin Bay. Did you ever get lost out there trying to get home? Uh, nah, I always knew where I was. I might not know how to get out of there, but I knew where I was. <laughs> no, I. Uh, you just didn't know where home was. I, I actually I had it fairly easy because I told you when I was a kid we either fished. Alamorada area, or we went to Flamingo. And when I when I moved it to the Keys and started, well, I had to put the two together. Mm-hmm. Once I got over there, I knew where I was fishing in that area, and around Alamorada, I just didn't know where they joined. Right. So the connection. Yeah. So interesting. It wasn't really that bad. Yeah. You know, Teresa, did you have a relationship with the flats? Oh yeah, fishing. Yeah, I was. Uh, I had Sea uh, Craft. I used to fish. I actually had a Mako first, and then I had a Sea Craft. And I liked offshore, and I liked backcountry. And are you a fly fisher? Yes, I learned from the best, Rick Ruoff. Yeah, he's awesome, right? I mean, we were friends, and uh, Skippy Nielsen too. Actually, you no, know, actually, Vic Aspenny would though. He was my boyfriend at the time. And he really didn't fly fish. Right. He wasn't that How, much how many years fish. ago is this that they taught you? Uh, let's see. I was 73, 74, 5, 76. I started in 76. Right. Um, see, I had my daughter in 82, so I got my captain's license in 83. So you were a captain. Mm-hmm. You were a guide. Mm-hmm. Well, more, I wasn't... More offshore? Uh, more... A little bit backcountry, yellowtailing and stuff, and I started running fishing tournaments in the Virgin Islands for the oh. uh, Atlantic uh, Boy Scout Blue Marlin tournament. Sure. I started uh, worked with the Observer program. Jimmy Loveland, who just passed away yesterday, um, he had started this Observer program. So we would take the professionals, like people with uh, Fluger and all kinds of people that were in the fishing business. And they would be our observers, and you didn't have to teach them. And they're just basically witnessing the catches, right? Right. Well, we had uh, the great thing about it was it was all re- we were we had a three hundred pound weight limit. In my thirteen years on in that tournament, we never killed a fish, not one blue marlin. Because the weight it had to be the fish had to be over three fifty. 
it had to be over 300. And then I talked them into 500. So so you could kill some fish? So we wouldn't kill any fish. Oh, right. I see what you're saying. What we right. wanted it to be is the observers to be an all-release tournament. So how, So you win the tournament by catching the most? You got it. And we were doing tag and tags. And um, Michael uh, Leach, he, that ran IGFA, sure. he did my observer um, rules for me every other year. He did Hawaii one year, and then we, he did ours. So would year. you travel to all the big tournaments around the world? Uh, well, I did... That one for 13 years, but I had gone over there fishing with my ex-husband, mm-hmm. um, Marlon fishing and stuff, and Alex and all of us. And then I started doing Venezuela and uh, Las Rocas. I mean, not Las Rocas, um, where the fishing used to be there, the Gigi house. Uh, we Gary went with me a couple times. They sent us on a fishing trip afterwards. We went to Las Rocas and where else did we go? It was Las Rocas and that place where it's... I went peacock bass fishing. Yeah. He, he, I ran the tournament. You get he seasick? Fished. You don't like offshore stuff? No. No. You don't? You don't like offshore stuff? No. So she wears never the, did much. So she wears the pants of the family? Yeah. Good. Yeah, I kind of loved it. I, I went... Do you get seasick? Yeah, I do. I, I do, mean, too. I mean, not bad, but uh, I don't I got comfortable out there. But I think it's more the smell of the diesel than it is being sick. Right. Uh, but, I, you know, for me being offshore, I just couldn't stand waiting for a fish to find the boat or find my bait. And I get the people who do, and I, you know, I applaud them. I think they're watching those big fish jump out of the water. To me, it's just amazing. Mm. I mean, I've been fishing marlin a number of times i caught one on a fly i caught one close to 800 pounds once and well that fish is going through the air and the boat's backing down and that that water's coming over the transom and hitting you in the chest i mean that's that's probably as exciting as sitting on a bull it's a big it's a big rush crazy but but the time it takes to get that fish on your string to me it's it's death defying yeah i i'm not hunting yeah. right the captain's hunting and the boat's hunting but you feel the same yeah and when but you you enjoyed all that oh i loved it i i, I was addicted um but i i was so fortunate because i was i would fish with alex adler and we were fishing um johnny morris at the time when he was getting started right and uh, we were tuna fishing over in the in Bimini, which was incredible. Because you had the big Luke tuna coming aclo- yeah. across the white sand. In May. We usually went in May. And I was doing photography then, too. So I would go with Alex and his customers, and I would take pictures of the tuna or the marlin, and then I would make a fishing album out of it and charge them for it. A lot of money. <laughs> I found a way to Good make money you. and still sit in the tuna tower. And, right. and uh, I just got to... Do that, but I was telling your son, Nikki, that when I went to Costa Rica, kind of changed me because it was in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I remember Alex and John Kip, all of us, we were in the van and we pulled up to the place, and Stu App was our first customer. And, and where is this near Capos? It's uh, Bahia Petsbela. Okay. Um, right, it's near there. Right. And this guy was draining, I mean, he was sucking through a, a hose with gas, trying to get the gasoline come up and a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> and all Alex said, we're going to die here. <laughs> those, are, those are the exciting years. But that turned into kind of, Stu came. Yeah. And What do you the, remember about that first trip with Stu? 
Uh, well, I knew Stu before that. Right. All of us did. Right. Alex knew him, Skippy knew him, and the term, or, I mean, the guy that ran the place was an old, he was a fit, uh, surfer. And uh, we didn't know who was coming. And then we found out it was Stu out. And when he came up, he, he knew every one of us. So it was like fun week. For, right. And his wife, Mary, had come with him. And then he went over to the coast and uh, did some tarpon fishing. But not long after that, we had a couple customers, but um, Skippy Nielsen got lost at sea. And wow. another guy named Robbie Wood that was with us all there, they had gone to go surfing and they got demasted and they were lost for, it was about 10 days. The day we all flew back. What kind of a boat were they in? They were in a sailboat. And um, when we got back, George Hummel was over there that used to own sure. Worldwide Sportsman. He and uh, that guy, I don't remember his name, uh, the pilot. Yeah, I don't remember. They flew over to look for him. Yeah, because there was no Coast Guard. So um, they couldn't find him. We were all sick. Alex, all of us, we were sick. And we flew into Miami. And Did they finally they find him? They found him yeah, yeah. that well, day. They didn't find him. Finally, they rigged up a sail of their own and sold and, and came back in by Skippy. themselves. Skippy did. They wow. were alive because of Skippy. Nielsen. Yeah, and that's a long time ago, so oh, you don't yeah. have communication at all. None. It was, we all flew back because we were in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we had jaguars coming in the camp at night. and It, it was a little scary. We lived in a house, all of us together, and... Um, we had a great time and the fishing was incredible. I mean, you could catch, matter of fact, Stu in his talk to you telling you about his sailfish on fly in Costa right. Rica, right. that I was with him. Wow. I was teasing the fish for him. And we didn't have any way to put a sign up. We didn't have anything. So I had some fingernail polish. You mean once you get to the fish of the shore? Is that the world record uh, sailfish he caught? Yes. That yes. still stands? Yes. That's the longest standing saltwater record, yep. I think. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. So I made a piece of wood and I took the fingernail polish and I put the number, how much it weighed and everything so we could take a picture it was of like, it. It's like 136 on 8-pound or 12-pound test? It was something? on 8, I think. I'm eight. not positive. That's been a long time ago. Yeah, it's still it's still in the record. But book. I heard him say that in your podcast. Right. And I was telling Gary yesterday, I said, that's the fish. Good but, for you guys. Yeah. But it was a great place to be, but it wasn't... Now it's a better place to be, but I, I was... I was just lucky to be there, you know, uh, with them. How long and did you have that? How long were we at the camp? Yeah. Let's see, I think we went the end of June and came back in August when Skippy got And how lost. many years? Uh, just that year, just that, that summer. Yeah, we didn't go back. Yeah. We didn't, we none didn't. of us really cared for the guy that was running the place. Right. He didn't understand fishermen. Mm -hmm. He was kind of a surfer boy and didn't like women. They wouldn't let me on the boat, so I had to sneak on the boat. I'd go get in the dinghy and lay down, and I Skippy would want take I, me out there. <laughs> I can't imagine how you know you as a fisher person was yeah. denied to go fishing. Well, when Stuart came, he couldn't deny me. I didn't have to go lay in the dinghy. Just, I could go out there and go fishing. Because Stu, Stu was on your side. Yeah, this is my team. And Mary, here. his wife. Right. <laughs> it was great, but then I kept doing that, and that's when I uh, later on I got married and had a little girl and raised her who lives in the keys still she's a right. keys brat and um and i stayed down there till gary and i left 
to go to uh, North Florida, and then we went to Alaska. Uh, was was that fish that Stu caught that you teased for him possibly your greatest fishing moment without a rod? It was in your pretty hand? great because I never really got to do the teasing part. I was usually in the on the bridge taking pictures um, or something, or was helping him clean the cockpit up or whatever. But I got to do he let me do that the day, and I never did much bill fishing with a fly rod. That was kind of my first right time experience. doing that. And those, and then one day. I was with him. Stu wasn't with us, and Alex had me holding a little plugging rod with a little bonita on it. And uh, this black marlin came out of the ate that bonita on a plugging stick and went straight up in the air. And I was like, Alex, what do I do? He said, nothing. <laughs> and oh, it was gone. That was it. And that's the first black marlin I ever saw, and I've never seen one since. It could be a pretty scary moment for sure. All right. Um, but as a teaser guy or woman, when you got that teaser and a marlin or or billfish eats that teaser and you're trying to pull it out of his mouth, a lot they won't let go. Mm-mm. I mean, it's a pretty exciting moment. Well, Pacific sailfish being so much bigger than Atlantic sailfish, I always used to Atlantic sailfish. Right. That's the first time I ever fished in the Pacific. So yeah. It was a big difference. So tell me, let's go back to your youth. What? To, what how did you get from northern Florida to the Keys? How'd I get back? How'd you get down to the Keys from Northern Florida, you know, to start I, your... Well, when I got out of high school, I went into the Marine Corps. And uh, when I, I got out from there, I, I I bought a farm up there. And I, it didn't work out too good for me. I loved it up there. Good hunting. Man, quail hunting was great and all the turkeys and the deer and all that stuff. But anyway, I, I came back to Miami and I worked for Western Electric. And that was the most boring job in the whole world. And I always wanted to be out there fishing somewhere and it interfered with my fishing, you know. So I was coming to, like I told you, I fished around the Isle of Marotta and stuff. And I, I met a fellow on Lower Matacumbi that had a little motel down there. And he... He'd let us put a boat in there, and we kind of left it at home, and I'd help him around a little bit. But any, anyway, I, I got a chance, and Donna came through and tore the place up, and he got kind of disgusted with it. So and that was 60s? What? Yeah, that was in 1960. Yeah. And then in 65, Betsy came through, and he got tore up again. And so I, I was just talking to him one day, and he, he said, I'll sell it for this. It sounded like a good deal to me. And it would, uh, so I went around and seen for how much money I could raise, and I come back down and ended up buying the place. And so I, I left Western, which I'll tell you is the boringest thing ever. Right. I mean, you go take a leak. You, they had to ring a bell to go do it. And everything was union. They give you... At that time, I was repairing uh, telephones. Not not through a tele. tele uh, I can't think of it. Anyway, they give you forty hours to do or repair one of these things, switchboard type things, and sometimes you could repair them in an hour. 
And the union get on you if you did it any faster. So yeah, I'd spend 40 hours there. We got where it was so boring. I'd take solder rings, make a ring out of them, solder them together. And then I'd take a gear out of one of them and stick it up there and we'd ring toss for 38 hours <laughs> or whatever. Anyway, it was so boring. So anyway, I ended up buying that place so I could get out of there and uh, fell in and the fishing came after that. I just, people that started, that came to stay at the motel, mm-hmm. I'd fish them. Yeah. I didn't have a license. Did you, uh, did you have any mentors at the time? Uh, I, I knew a guy down there that helped me out quite a bit. Uh, you're in your mid-20s now, right? Uh, yeah, 30s. Uh, I heard on one of your casts, uh, Billy Noel mentioned him. He was a good fisherman. His name was Clarence Lowe. Right. And, he was uh, related to uh, to Billy Knowles. Yeah, yeah, they were. There was a bunch of them. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he drank too much, but he was a great fisherman, and uh, he he taught me a lot. First fly, uh, I, catching a uh, tarp on the flyout. There was that Bill Hammond I was telling you about that did the paintings at right. the cathedral. He was the first one, and I always just went with him one day. And he caught that thing, and I couldn't believe he hit that thing. In the first, I couldn't believe that a fish that big would even turn his head to bite something that small, you know. And Do you remember where you were? Yeah, uh, yeah, I was at uh, Long Key. On the ocean. Yeah, on the ocean side. The first holes, just you know, past that little old marker that was out there. There was a hole in there. Uh, Anyway, that first tarpon bite is always it's indelible. Yeah, I you'll never forget it. that first I tarpon bite. I couldn't believe it. And anyway, that's from there. I just that fly fishing was something else. I was, best thing that ever happened to me. I loved it. I mean, I didn't particularly push it on. Well, I did too. I, I converted a lot of people. Right. If they come down a year and they you catch a fish. <laughs> I'd say, well, if you, know, you catch us on something else, to throw a crab at them. It's, 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 let's do some sight fishing here, <laughs> you know, so you can see them. And I start them throwing a crab at them, and then I said, you, you know, you can catch these things on fly rod. And he said, nah, take too long, can't do that. And I said, well, you, if you don't try it, you're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I converted a lot of people to fly fishing. And once they catch one on a fly rod, <laughs> They was hooked. Right. <laughs> Most of them, they, they wouldn't go back another way. They always wanted to do it again. What kind of fly gear were you all using at that time? Uh, mostly flugers, and if you was lucky, uh, you used a Seamaster. <laughs> right. And <laughs> but, the hooks were all big. Oh, right? big hooks, yeah. Was it? It must you, have been kind of hard to get a hook in a, in a tarpon's face, you know, with those big 5.0 hooks, and it's all been... You know, over the years, we've all spoken about the big, wide wire hooks that were so hard to really catch fish with. Well, it seems like it's getting harder now, but at that time, shoot, you could take one of them big old hooks and put a banana peel on and throw it out there. They'd eat it. No, I understand that, but I'm talking about getting the hook into the fish's face. Because they jump and they jump and fall off the hook because yeah. the hooks were too big and, yeah. and the the width of the wire was too, so wide the hook wouldn't penetrate. Right. It was a job. Yeah. 
but uh, you, if you're lucky, you know, you get it in there, hook it in there just right, and it, it'll, it'll the, stay. Get ready for the ride. Yeah. But, um, was it a pretty quiet period? Because it must have been really seasonal. I know was. that they started those tournaments because a lot of the anglers came down for May. Right. And as the story is told, they usually left right after May, and the stories... Um, and the terms uh, were created to get everybody back into town. That's exactly right. And same way with the bonefish tournaments. We started having those in the off season, so you'd have something to do. Right. I bet it was pretty boring after those seasons came and went. It was. It was slow. I mean, you could sleep on the highway. There wasn't no cars going by there either, like it is now. <laughs> what you do? I'm, I'm dreading going down there to tell you that I'm going down there today. But... Oh, it's going to break. When was the last time you were down in the Keys? Uh, November. Yeah, oh, so. We go every well, my year. My daughter lives there. So. Right. And all our friends live there. So we, we go down there every year, you know, do the little fishing. And some of the old guys, a couple of the guides that I know, they. they feel sorry for me and take me out fishing <laughs> what's it like now to fish after all these years with the better equipment actually i've uh, last time i went down there i fished with skippy nielsen and uh man we had a ball last year well, there was more snook there than it changed you know you got periods where they they go for eight or nine years and then eight or nine years they'll slow down and it's like fishing anywhere they got right. patterns that go by or, or time but we had great fishing we caught a lot of snook uh shoot out and i was still throwing the fly rod out there I, we hit one pot out there and then a bunch of fish I said, shoot i'd catch snapper out there <laughs> just to just to be doing it so you still love it after all these years yeah i still do i can't do it for a long period of time in fact i can't fish at all for a long period of time but i can't throw as much as i used right, to right why hell you're only 81 you got, met, you got a lot of years left. Seven. No, no, don't, 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 don't say that number. <laughs> tell, him, tell him what you always say. Uh, I got a uh, sign on my refrigerator that says, you're only as old as a woman you feel. <laughs> so he thinks he's 67. Perfect. Yeah. I like, I like, the, I like that train of thought. <laughs> tell me about the gold cup. I mean, um, on the podcast, we kind of gravitate. I'm a tarpon fisherman, obviously. I gravitate. That's where my my heart is. Mm -hmm. um, the early years of the Gold Cup. Tell me about that, and when you first heard about it, and how you got involved. Because you ended up winning this great tournament three times: seventy-seven, seventy-eight, and eighty-two. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I I was never big on tournaments. Didn't like fishing them. Uh, and why? I don't know. I just, it was, it, you didn't make as much money. I'm not because they didn't pay you, but I mean, I, I fished, I probably fished more than anybody. You know, I, I fished seven days a week and I fished seven nights a week. Wow. <laughs> and I did it for years. <laughs> I just didn't take time off. And I could fish a tournament and, and they couldn't fish in the evening. I couldn't take a night party. Right. And I can make as much as going out four hours, and it's actually it was like resting. You really wasn't working. Right. You ain't get up waiting for a fish to Yeah, bite. and you don't spend a dollar's worth of gas. And it, it was, I don't know, 
I couldn't do that with five fish a tournament. You know, they want right. to expect you to go to dinners and banquets and all this kind of stuff. So it wasn't my cup of tea. And Jack Kurtz called me up. Uh, a lot of the guys at that time, they really drink too much. They they didn't learn. I learned early that these people are on vacation, and you can't stick with them. <laughs> There's no way. As soon as I got fished guy for five days, he may have worked all year long so he could come down and afford to go fishing for five days, stay in a motel, eat restaurants, and and, and party. You know. And as soon as that five people are gone, if you go out there and party with him, as soon as he's gone, you got somebody else. They doing the same thing, and you just you can't. <laughs> your body will not take it. But that was the environment back then. It was, and that was a problem with most of them. That's one of the hardest things about guiding. Learn you you can't party seven days a week. No, you know. Was it uh, was the Gold Cup? Um, um, prestigious back then yes it was did you always want to win it or just by chance you ended up fishing it well by chance i ended up fishing it but uh man just being around the the caliber of fishermen for one thing and uh i've never met nicer people but i never met nicer people than fishermen anyway like uh, I fished 35 years, uh, and I can only remember one person that I wouldn't want to fish again. What happened? Uh, he wanted me to kill tarpon. He wanted to kill tarpon, mm-hmm. bring him in and, and put him on a hook, and just yeah, just hang him up for no reason, and I wouldn't do it. How hard was that for you to kill tarpon in the uh, the Gold Cup back then, which was a kill tournament? It was really hard. In fact. Uh, uh, the fellow that I fished, I mean, Jimmy Bell, I, you don't see many pictures of us. I mean, you can go on the internet and you see all kinds of old pictures and stuff around the, the gold cup and stuff, and you see people all hanging up there with fish. Uh, you don't see many of me and Jimmy. Oh, we killed our share. We had to to uh, win he, the tournament. Yeah, because it was a kill tournament. But they come down and say, oh, yeah, they come with you take a picture with these fish. I said, uh-uh, I don't want my picture taken with that dead fish. <laughs> uh, I think it was, <clears throat> I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, like uh, Don Hawley and Charlie Cozzi uh-huh. were some of the a couple of guys that really pushed for a no-kill tournament. Right. Because uh, I think it was 91 was the last kill tournament with Robbie Fordyce and Stanley Sherman. But I think those were the guys that actually finally, you know, got it to, to fruition that became a release tournament. But you guys were already thinking about that back in the oh, 70s. Oh, well, he was trying. Yeah. Well, um, what was it like to gaff a tarpon? <laughs> it was scary. Yeah, I've been snatched over a few times. <laughs> what, was, what was the first time like? First time was more embarrassing than anything else. Uh, Hank Brown, I think it was, and and I we was fishing the same party, and it was late in the afternoon, about time to go in, and I I had this big fish on outside of. 
a Channel 2 down there somewhere, and he brought over. He says, we're going in. It's time to go in. I said, well, stick around. I'll show you how to gaff this thing. No more than I said it, and I got a shot at him, and that thing snatched me out of the boat so bad. <laughs> I said, that's not what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> did he hang out of the gaff, or did oh, you let yeah. go? No, I, I kept him. I held on to him, but. What's it like to be held, you know, to be on the end of a gaff in, in a tarpon that's jumping around in deep water? Deep water is scary. Knowing that there's sharks it's, out there oh, in Channel but, 2 area. Shoot, I've seen tarpon, you know, big old sharks come up and, and take tarpon. So I knew they hit you there in they the water there. and they follow them around, you know. So, I mean, you think about it and you don't think about it that much, but usually... Like I had a fellow fall off my boat one time, and uh, it scared him so bad. I, I claimed when he got back in the boat, he wasn't even wet. <laughs> he come back fast. How did he fall out of the boat? Uh, I don't remember. He just kind of stepped off the back of it. Uh, oh, lost, just, lost just, his balance or something right, another. Right. He wasn't pulled off or anything. He just fell off of it. But I guarantee he came up so fast, I told him he didn't even get wet. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, did you have a lot of shark problems back in, not, not to change the subject, we're going to come back to the Gold Cup, but, you know, with all the offshore fishing you did, was there a lot oh, yeah. of, was Especially there a big shark fishing. problem? Yeah, in Bimini there was with the tunas. Yeah, there. I think if it, uh, most, not many with the marlin, um, but with the tunas we did. Would they follow the boat knowing that the boat would actually be around fish at some point? Yes. Yes, they would. When we were, you know, in Bimini, the water's crystal clear and we could see the fish. You know, Alex, I usually got set up in the tower with Quincy, a friend of ours, and Alex was on the bridge. And when you'd see him, you'd see him in big schools, like you'd see it. Same as permit there. You'd see school permit. The water would turn yellow, literally. But the tunas, when we get a tuna on, if he went off that edge, he was gone. Shark bit. Got gone. We lost quite a few fish like that. When was the last year you guys were catching the big tuna on the, on the well, Alex, sand over there? Alex used to do it a lot with Johnny Morris. And then Johnny would go on the Kalex. And he had a, I think it was a ribovich that he had. And... Johnny rather go on the Kalex, and we did that, and we spent a lot of time marlin fishing too, as well as tuna fishing. But May was the tuna time, right? And Kale Alex got so good at it, which I call beady eyes. But he 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 can see like I've never seen anybody see except one other man. And that was Alan Starr, Captain Alan Starr, right? And he had he could see him forever. And so could we up in the tower. Right. Now, did those uh, um, did those tuna swim a path like tarpon do in the Keys? Like we know on uh, Long Key, where the tarpon right. swim down an edge. Is that the way Same the, the, the tuna swam yep. over there? Yep. So you'd get out and and get your spot. Oh, yeah. And stay or anchor up. Would you anchor? No, we didn't anchor. No, we'd sight fish. We fished from Cat Key. There was a certain area that Alex liked to fish. That was shallower water between Cat Key and Bimini. And, uh, and we were all on eyeballs out. It was 
So you would maneuver the boat to intercept the oh, tuna yeah. coming down the edge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, were there boat wars to get certain spots like there is with, with tarpon fishermen? No, because we didn't have any tuna tournaments. It was just... But on day fishing fish. in the Keys, I mean, there's all these boats trying to get to, oh, yeah. to the A spot. Oh, yeah. Was that like that in the tuna days in Bimini? Not really. Not really. There was only a certain amount of people that did it. Mm -hmm. but that, it wasn't cheap. Was, right. I mean, when Johnny Morris started going over to Cat Key, he had a place over there. Alex would go over there and stay, and they stayed in the marina there in Cat Key. Right. Uh, but when we were doing it in Bimini, it was a little bit different. Uh, Alex was the only person I tuna fished like that until I went up to, Ma up to Prince Edward Island and did it. That was different. That was totally different. Matter of fact, we got a thousand, it was a thousand eighty and a half, I think it was. And that's a com because you're it's in deep totally water different. and you're chunking. Yeah, and you're sitting in a fighting chair on the back of the gunnel. Right. There was no way I was going to get in that chair and do that. So the fighting <laughs> chair was over the back edge of the gunnel? It was on top of the gunnel. It was mounted on the stern. Oh, wow. That's how they did it in <laughs> Prince Edward Island. And I watched this one guy, and it's cold water, too. I saw him get knocked right, get all right off the back, and I was like, I'm not getting on there. Now, Vic Gaspany did, but I didn't. Now, were they selling those tuna at the dock when yes. you got back right away? The Japanese bought them. They, what they would do is they have like a casket. Like a coffin. Full yeah. Of, yeah, like a coffin full of ice. Right. They cut the head off, gut it, and put it in that. And they like would have see trucks. On TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'd have trucks here. And do you, do you watch uh, Wicked Tuna? Oh, yeah. I know a couple of the guys because I grew up in the Carolinas right. in Virginia. So. Do, you, do you like that show? Yes, I do. It's good, right? Yeah, they yeah. do a good job. Yeah. They're characters. Yeah, I watch it. Yeah. They're characters, all of them. But most people from Hatteras, North Carolina, is a character. So. Boy, how good is that tuna? That tuna uh, belly, that fresh tuna That was belly. what we did. See, in Bimini, you couldn't sell them. It was against the law there. So what we would do is, um, Mark Jolis, he would he was our gourmet sushi chef, and he would cut that belly out, around the belly there, all that nice meat, and then we let the islanders, if you didn't get, you had to get out of the way because they'd have machetes in their hand, and they'd start cutting, boy. I bet it wouldn't And an 800 pound long. tuna <laughs> was gone like that. All you saw was bones. Wow. But that's when we just shared the meat with the islanders. So. Was there a, a, uh, a fish limit back then when you guys were catching all those tuna? I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, I Most of the time we'd get one in a day. I don't remember. I'm sure Alex probably got more after that because that's when I got married and got pregnant. and um, I wasn't doing as much of the fishing then right. with Kalexi and the guys because I had a little girl. But that game that was played with these big tuna over that white sand, they don't swim over that sand anymore, do they? I don't think so. Alex was telling me about that. It's changed a lot. But right. I think a lot of fisheries has changed. I mean, that's why I wanted to do the all-release tournaments with the marlin. I used to always say I wanted to leave some kind of thing in my life when I leave here. So to me, saving all those blue marlin... For 13 years of fish in that tournament and i always release my fish i don't kill many fish right do i i'm never yeah. been one to kill fish maybe salmon but right i mean they're killing themselves basically so well i want to get to your 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 relationship with alaska in, in a little bit but let's go back to the gold cup briefly yeah, yeah. okay too. so now you're in the gold cup mm -hmm. um we have jimmy bell jr 
Right. Did you practice a number of years in in thinking that at some point you wanted to fish the Gold Cup like like the uh, guys of today? A lot of these guys are fishing 60 and 70 and 80 days to get ready to win the Gold Cup. It's that important to these guys. Yeah. No, we, we never did that. We... <clears throat> Uh, I met Jimmy, and two days later, we were fishing the Gold Cup. He fished with a fellow by the name of Ralph Knowles. Right. Uh, I don't know how many years, but a few years before that. And he was a drinker, too, and he wouldn't show up part of the time. And Jack Kurtz called me up and asked me if I would fish him. So I went down and met him, and I really didn't want to fish him. But uh, they anyway, they talked me into it, so I did. And uh, I just fell in love with him. He, he's a, <laughs> Jimmy Bell was a good guy. Oh, man. He's one of the best. He was your best and, friend. And, and every, everybody that fished with him felt the same way. Do, do you think that you had the image of being a loner because you didn't drink? No. Or uh, you just didn't care I, to... I, I drink. I, but you just I, didn't care to hang out with a lot I, of guys I didn't, after I didn't drink to get drunk. Right, but uh, I'd go have a drink anytime. Right. I, you know, is that a fair assessment of you being a, a loner? Or? Yeah, I, I did. I didn't like fishing, like you talking about uh, standing in line like Buchanan uh, at the pocket. Yeah, I never fished pocket. I call it beginner's bank. <laughs> no, that's a good term. <laughs> because they had to be there because they couldn't catch fish elsewhere. Shoot, some of them guys was the best there is. I know. So you can't say that. that I mean, know, couldn't say that, but right. uh, it, it, you could also take somebody that hadn't done it you know, and throw 20 feet and catch fish. Because the fish were coming right to your bow. Yeah. That edge yeah. blocked those but fish. But I, I was never one to, to get behind somebody else and, and sit there. Well, yeah. it's almost fishing there. It's like fishing on the ocean where you're staked out waiting to fit for the fish to come to you. It, it is. Whereas like everywhere else, but, you're but pulling and looking for fish. Right. But there's not anybody in front of you right. as a rule. You know? you know what they say? If you ain't the lead dog, the view never changes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right? Yeah. So you, where was your favorite fishing grounds? Um, probably Long Key. So you were an ocean guy. Yeah. Uh, I, not always. But if I could possibly get... With Jimmy, I could fish Long Key. He was good enough to catch them. He was good enough. Uh, he could see fish, and he was good at judge where to put that fly, so it's going to be in front mm -hmm. of the fish. He, he could do it in a, if a fish is coming close or if it's way out there, he could reach them mm -hmm. and still put them in the same place. So we could cover a lots of area. So right. I always figured in the tournament, I was going to try to go where I was thinking I was going to get the most shots because if anybody catch him, he could catch him, you know. So so, so we fished there uh, anytime we could get there. Right. But, you know, it didn't bother me to go to Sandy Key. or, or I love to fish out there at Sandy, at Sandy Key. Right. Yes. Did you win the Gold Cup the first year you fished it? I don't remember. I... I I don't remember. Yeah. Was it a big celebration after you won? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. They had a lot of good fishermen in there. Yeah. You compete with them. I, I like the competition. I've always played a lot of ball, 
and and like competition, but I was never really. Uh, for some reason, I, I never got into the wanting to fish tournaments and stuff. If it wasn't for Jimmy, I would have never fished them. Did you get um, passionate about tournament fishing after you won that first that first oh, gold yeah. cup? Oh, I, then you were I, all in. I wouldn't change it for nothing uh, after that. Were there yeah. big Calcuttas back then? Uh, pretty good size. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't remember. Well, if you take a look at the years you won. Okay, 77, 78, um, and 82. You were fishing against Cecil Keith, Eddie Whiteman, Hank Brown, Steve Huff. You know, Steve is probably the, one of the most notorious guides names on the planet. What do you remember most about Steve? I didn't know him that well, uh, but he always seemed like, you know, a really nice guy. Right. Yeah, and he, was, uh, he just seemed to be down to earth. He, he was no, nothing, didn't put on no fancy airs or nothing. Right. And uh, I like that about him. Who was who was who were the anglers and guides that were you most and everybody else most feared as far as their abilities to win these tournaments? Who was the best fisherman? Who was the best guide back then? Besides yourself. Huh. Uh I don't know. I'd have to think about it. There's so many of them. Right. They were all good. Right. Nobody really dominated. Um, I mean, you guys won it, you know, those three times. And Sandy Moret started winning it. And then after that, it was Glenn Flutie. But you had Billy Pate. No, oh, yeah. Great he was, Billy Pate that was in he it. Was Tom in Evans, that. I think, was second to you guys when uh-huh. about like six points or something. Yeah. What do you remember about Evans? Uh, d- didn't know him that well. He just, you know, he's a good fisherman. I, I just see him throwing that fly. He he could handle it. Yeah. Well, it was uh, like back then it is now. It was one of the most prestigious, you know. Oh yeah, and events probably in the will Keys be for own for, for the rest of time. Yeah. Well, anyway, congratulations on that. How did you end up in Alaska? Uh, actually, one of my customers, uh, it's a funny story, uh, not a funny story, but, uh, the first year they had the Holly. Right. I think it was in 74. I'm not sure, 74, 75. A storm came up. We was booked, we was booked to fish it. And a storm came up. And they said, a lot of the anglers said they weren't going to go out. It was too rough, just too bad. So they left it up. They said, well, we can't tell you not to go. So you can go if you want to or you don't go. So we, we went. And uh, there was only, there was no weightfish caught. There was five, I like to tell people, there's five fish caught. I caught three of them. And I came in last. <laughs> How'd that happen? It was a weightfish tournament. Yeah, but it was no weightfish caught. How'd and you come in last? I you caught they, the most they fish. Was, they was going to give uh, one trophy out. They decided not to do the thing at the end. At the end. They canceled the thing. It's only because quite a few of them didn't. Even the second day, some of the same ones didn't go out. And it... They said it wasn't fair or something. I don't remember 
the rule part of it. But anyway, they didn't count that year. Oh, so you caught the most fish you should have won, but they canceled it. Right. Even after they held it. Yeah, and even if they're fighting all that weather and going out there and fishing in that thing. Can you cancel the tournament needed. where you guys were actually fishing? It? And, well, so, there was some, wasn't just me. I mean, there was half of us fished, half right. of us didn't. But anyway, oh, they decided terrible. not to count it. So I tell everybody, yeah, we had five fish caught. We caught three of them, and we came in last. <laughs> Did you slash any tires that year? <laughs> no. Talk about that. Was that a, a thing back then? Because I remember there was a, a period where outsiders were getting their tires slashed, or you know, because they didn't. The locals didn't want them fishing in that area. Is that right? Was that after you? I, I, I didn't know nothing about it. Yeah, it was after you. That was, that was It had to have been. Yeah, it was after you. But anyway, let's get to Alaska briefly because, you know, Nikki and I love to hunt. Nikki was up there on a moose hunt this year. You mentioned you've you've done a bunch of elk hunting. Okay, well, this guy that in Holly that I was fishing, he invited me to go to Alaska. He paid my way up there, and we... We went up there, and we flew over. That's where that title Chilitna River. Mm-hmm. That's where we went. And uh, it was great. I, I enjoyed catching the fish and the seeing the scenery and going. So I always enjoyed going different places anyway. So that was fun. And then later on, when we got up there, we decided i take this one here and we could go see if I could put up with her with an, in the back of a pickup truck. This is the test period. Yeah, so we... We, we live just, in a tent for two months. We, yeah. we lived in the back of an S10 truck. And a tent. She wasn't getting a tent. There's no way. <laughs> All she the scared bears. to death of bears. <laughs> no. Nope. Uh, so we went up and just took the summer and just rode all over the place and stopped here to fish, stopped there. We didn't know where we was going. We just was going to see the state. So Wow. He was right retired. Up. He had just retired. Then. How many years ago was this? Shoot, this was 30 years ago. It right. was t- 1998. 19, yeah, 1998 when we did Somewhere that. In there. And then 99, we went back with a motorhome. Anyway, we spent the, the summer of just riding around up there. And fishing. 30 years later, you're still there. Yeah. Did you ever guide up there or you just, nope. like to, you just live guided. up there? No, nope, never did. Let my license go when I left here so I wouldn't be tempted to come back and start fishing again. Both of us did. I, we just figured we didn't want to do that anymore. So you live near the Kenai? Live right on it. You, you, walk have, out. you have a home on the Kenai? Right. What's that like? Uh, it's great. <laughs> what do you see in the, on the Kenai? Uh, animals run around. Every, yeah, what's, what's that experience like? Well, we have grizzly bears come by all the time right in the yard and we've got cameras out there and most of the time we don't see them they come through at night but they don't bother you they've scared me to death a couple of times but and uh, never had any problem with them but there's quite a few of them and you also you you may mention that that you like the moose hunt give me a moose hunting story well uh, uh, <laughs> I tell you my, my buddy that I hunt Elkwest in Montana, he comes up. We've been there 20, 22 years. He hadn't missed a year yet. He comes up and fishes with me, and we go hunting. Uh, the one last trip we went on for moose, we drove nine, ten hundred, I mean, 9,000 miles, 900 miles uh, to a river 
and put a boat in to go camping up at the Good Pasture River. And we went up it, camped up there for a week or so and, and never seen a moose we could shoot. And uh, came back, <laughs> drove all the way home. And when we got home, there was a, a legal moose in the yard and we, we shot him. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, at least you didn't have a big back, uh, pack out, right? Oh, no, it was, that was the easiest one. I, I learned that pack out stuff. Uh, we did a fly-in one time, I'd, and uh, I killed one that was a half-inch short. And It took you three it, days it to get it out. It took three days just to pack it back to where the plane was. And then we had to fly it out, and you had to make extra trips with it, and had to pay for different, I don't know, two different trips just to get the meat out. And it was illegal, and the game warden, I, I told him, you know, I, I didn't quite make the thing, and I pilot, I, he said he'd lose his license if he didn't report it, you know. So they met us there, the game warden met us there. He said, it's a full-grown sucker here. I don't know why he's not. He, he went by his, well, they, they saved the breastbone, to make collars out of. Have you ever heard of that? No. Yeah, the the bones in the in the front shoulders got a wide piece of bone in there. Right. And they take those things and and that's what they do it when they doing on the, on the bushes on the side. They rub it up and down to make right. thrashings and stuff. So anyway, he went by that and he said a full grown thing. He said should have. Should have been bigger than that, but he looked like being. It was huge moose. But the horn uh, difference was too short. The, the, yeah, well, it the was distance. only 49 and a half inches wide, you know, and it has to be 50. Right. Anyway. So then what happened? Anyway, they t took my moose, fined me $1,050, and uh, I think they put me on probation, they didn't they? They put you on probation. Oh, probation for a, for a year. But the season was over. You couldn't hunt until the next year anyway, so it wasn't no big deal. Did you moose hunt after that? or that? Oh, yeah. No, I still moose yeah. hunt. <laughs> <laughs> he looks out the window now. Yeah. How, how do you judge uh, a moose spread of 50 inches accurately before you kill it? That's well, be it can't be, can't be accurate, but it, it's... It's really not that hard. What they do is they always figure the eyes are 10 inches apart. Right. right. And if you can get a head-on look at one, you take those 10 inches and you do it twice on each side, and that'll give you 50, 50 inches. inches you right. know, so. Most of the time, they're a lot bigger than that, and you don't have to worry about it. But right. if it, this one here, I thought he was big enough. Right. Just come up a little short. And, and you enjoy the, the Alaskan bush. And, oh, and I love the... it. I love it. When we first went there in the S-10, it was fun. We went back to the Keys. And then we sold our house in the Keys. And we had bought that restaurant campground up in North Florida in the Swanee. And he wanted to buy a motorhome. So we went and bought a motor. We got this motorhome. And we moved from the Keys in November. And then May, we went in the motorhome. And we were just going to go there and enjoy the motorhome and come back to Florida. And we'd started looking at property on the Kasiloff River and some on the Kenai River. And we found this log house in the newspaper by owner right on the Kenai, but it wasn't finished. The guy had started this log home and 
beautiful home, but it wasn't beautiful at the time. Right. We had to have a vision. And uh, we decided that that was 2000. We bought it in August. We had the keys in our hands in three days. We wrote a check for it and we stayed the winter to finish it up. Wow. We did the outside first. We uh, wanted to become a resident. You have to stay one year, at least a year, you know, to become a yeah, resident. Full time. Yeah. So we, it worked out good for us because we had, we spent all winter working on the house. Right. You know, so that made Was our, that the made, only winter you ever spent in Alaska? Except for last year with the COVID thing. Oh, we didn't want to come back. Uh, was it last year or year before? No, yeah. it was this past winter. It was last yeah. winter. Won't do it again either. It was, <laughs> all we could hear about here in Florida was how bad it was and everything. So we decided well, it wasn't worth coming back. So we stayed most of the winter. What's a winter like in Alaska like? Yucky. Oh, <laughs> The first one we stayed, we was busy working on the house. So we was really busy, but it was not a bad winter. We had three or four days twice where it got below zero. That's not bad. No, that's, you know, it's unheard of, you right. know. So it was really nice. But since then, like right now, they're getting snow every day. They're getting 10, 12 inches of snow every day right now. What what animal would you compare to a, a tarpon, and maybe a bonefish and a permit? Hmm. I was thinking about this because tarpon really they want to be caught. Basically, if you throw the fly in the right spot, they want to be they want to bite it. You know, the older guys used to say, "Who wants to catch a tarpon? They're too easy." Um, it's like a bull elk. You can kill a bull elk, you know, calling them in, in in the rut. You know, it's a very sexual animal, like a tarpon. You know, tarpon want to jump out of the water. They're easy to feed. An elk is easy to call in. He's got big antlers. I've always kind of made that comparison. It's like yeah. you know, And like bonefish, they're really smart. They're hard to catch. I'm thinking like a big mule deer. And a permit would be like a, a big white tail, white tail, because you can't stalk a white tail. No, huh. I, I don't know. Never I, about I, that. I was gonna say uh, the uh, caribou, but I've had bad luck with them. I, <laughs> they, they usually, you know, they get in a, a big herd and stuff, and they have a pattern to go through, and you can get in front of them. But I've had a hard time for some reason. I've always tried to do it with a bow. But, and that's the only thing I've really wanted to shoot with a bow that I haven't been able to do. Are they hard to get close to? No, they're not. They're, they're usually fairly you, easy, but I don't know. You're I just, a bad shot or what? I, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is, but I've taken my, my buddy from Montana. His son come up there. He'd never shot a bow before, and he said, well, let me shoot this thing, and he couldn't hit nothing. And, and if the thing's got a sight on it, you're a good shot. I mean, he... Yeah, he's one of the best shooters I've ever seen. Skeet shooter and all this kind of stuff. And I showed him that little thing. I said, "There's a sight. Look through that thing." There. So after that, he said, uh, "We come down. We said, a bunch of them coming down there." I said, "Here, take my bow and go shoot one of those things. See now that you know how to shoot it." Thing. He run down there. I hadn't killed one yet, and we got in such a hurry. I gave him. Uh, 
era and it didn't have a broadhead on it. And he went out and then he pulled back on this thing. And we're sitting here, we're watching him shoot. And they hit him right where he was supposed to. And it went straight up in the air. And we're sitting there, what in the world? He shot that thing and hit him right where he was supposed to. And the air goes flying. We didn't know it didn't have a broadhead on <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine doing that. <laughs> anyway, he went by, another next group come by, he went down there and he killed one of them. But I still let him shot one. Yep. What, what's your, what was your favorite fish to catch in the Keys? Tarpon. Yeah. And what about, what's your favorite animal to hunt? And why? Uh, uh, turkeys, I think. Okay. I, I've killed a lot of deer and it used to be my favorite, but it, they, they're fairly easy to kill. Right. You know, and turkeys are a little, got to be a little more yeah. skill in it. And what about elk? You've killed elk before too. Have yeah. You, have you killed them in the rut when they're bugling? Uh, I've bugled them, uh, but uh, I'm, I can't say I have, no. Yeah. I've killed quite a few of them with a rifle, mm -hmm. and I've only killed one with a bow. But uh, they're great animals. I love yeah. to eat them. <laughs> yeah, they're really cool. Yeah. Well, uh, we've covered a pretty big spectrum here. Yeah, we have. You know, is there anything else you'd like to add or... Contribute uh, to your stories? No. Uh, the, the only thing is, uh, I remember one, another hard part uh, when in the beginning, early fishing, the bait fishing, the hardest part of it was getting home. I, I we talked about the wheel ditch mm -hmm. going through there. When you go through the wheel ditch, uh, at Bucky Starts, and you hit that bay, right up in that corner, that's where my house was. Mm. I live right there on that bay. By Carl Heisen. Yeah. Do you know where Carl Heisen's place is? Mm -hmm. I was, I was, he's my neighbor. Two okay. doors down. Uh, anyway, what was the guy? Oh, we. I told you, I, I'd go seven nights a week, night tarpon fishing. And then uh, when I first went down in in the late 60s uh if you went like channel two if the weather was bad i'd go to channel two right otherwise i'd go out stake up on the uh first on the buchanan point okay and fish at night right but anyway would to get back home after dark that whole bay was full of pompano uh, and they'd be skipping in front of your boat, running back. No, they would be skipping. That that whole bay would be full of nets. Oh no! They would put, I mean, quarter of a mile nets all over that whole bay. They had boats that sit out there all the time. They lived on them. Pompano fishermen did, and then at night they'd put these long nets out there. They'd have a kerosene burner on one end and a kerosene in a tube, and a kerosene burner at the other. And when the wind come up. Them things blow out. So when you're coming back home, you're going to hit those nets. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I don't know how many nights I have hit those things and had to go in there and cut the poor man's net out of my out of my prop yeah. to get back home. Wow, you'd think at some point they would know that you guys are coming back and well, those nets well, are going to get chopped up. Well, most of the time, if it wasn't too bad, you could see the lights. You'd know there. You'd look for them. And right. you usually had a spotlight you was looking at anyway. And you could see the net, and you just 
cut your motor off before you got to under, take your pole and pole, push it down and float over it and then right. and go on. There wasn't no problem. But a lot of times you didn't you couldn't see that. Well you're talking about Bucky Stark's wheel ditch. How was that named after him? What did he do to take ownership or have it? Uh... Well, it was right behind his house. Uh huh. He lived right there. Right. And because there were just a bunch of mangrove shoots when it first got started. If I'm not oh, mistaken. Oh yeah, all those trees and like stuff flat, where you go through flat, there now. Yeah. It was a bonefish flat. There was no trees or nothing in there. Right. None at all. In so fact, they hired the football team one year. The Corps Shores and had them all waiting out there. The, the Guides Association did and had them go out there and pull out a bunch of those things because it's such a good bonefish fact. <laughs> they didn't want the bonefish wrapping around those, yeah, uh, no, those, those mango shoots, shoots coming up. But it was just little shoots because most of it was water there. there right. were, there's no trees. So obviously it was, um, it, was, it was a wheel ditch that boats made a scar and everybody started running through that scar and now yeah. it's a big channel. Well, Bucky was the first one to do it because he, he would come out there and sometimes he would, most of the time, he would fish at Ligman Vitae, but he would go to Channel 2. Mm -hmm. And if he wanted to go through there, he was probably the first one to go through there. So he, he got his name. He'd just so, run the flat. Yeah. And like I said, that thing wasn't that wide. <laughs> you know, just the width of, of a prop to go through there to start with, and so, you could not go through there during, in the dark and at, at low tide. <laughs> That's crazy because yeah. now it's like ten feet deep. Oh yeah, it's like a channel. Yeah, but is. there was several of those places going to Flamingo was the same way. They were just and when you didn't have a power trim to pick your motor up, you dug a trench. You couldn't. Oh, you you'd get stuck in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very interesting. Well, thank you so much for for you know, right. thank you for having me. For Enjoyed coming it. into the fish house. I and, thought I was going to have trouble talking, yeah. and that seemed to be yapping away. Fond memories are fun to <laughs> share. I want to say one thing: if you ask Sandy Moret, or you ask Cecil, or you ask Wilt Billy Knowles, or any of them, how do you remember Gary? It's that hat. <laughs> oh. America's best chew, Red Man. Yes. He was known as Mr. Redman. Is that right? Jimmy Bell, too. We both chewed the whole time. And we'd come, oh, and I know you caught fish because you got blood all over your boat. It wasn't blood. It was <laughs> where we were spitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's, when did you stop? Or are you still chewing? No, no. I finally quit a long time ago. Yeah, it's been but 40 I, years. But I chewed for years. Oh, Sandy Moret, every time she sees him, he's like, yeah, he, aren't you ever going to run out of that? She, you got those hats stockpiled at the, in the back of your house? He did. I, I've had piles that he's saying. And my, my buddy from Montana, his son, uh, he found them on the internet or somewhere because my others were rotten and oh. smelly and all that stuff. And he found it on the internet and he sent it to me. Last year, I think it was yep, the year before. So for the rest of the time, we can call you Red Man. Oh, yeah. They all know red him by that Gary. Hat. They look out in the water and see that red hat. Well, again, thank you so much. We thank really you. appreciate it. Oh, I enjoyed it. Yeah. It was great. Yes, it was. Good fun. It was wonderful. Thank you. We feel lucky to be able to sit down with Gary today and capture his story. Because at 87 years young, he's hard to pin down as his big life continues to move back and forth from the Keys to Alaska 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon. Just a ride. Just a ride.